Acts chapter 10. It is, um, man, I am so excited to be back. <laughs> I, I'm glad to be back with you. Uh, a sabbatical is a strange thing uh, to see happen. And it's an even stranger thing, obviously, to experience it. To be able to um, have a period of rest, to be able to pray and to, to refresh and to grow in my own relationship with the Lord and my own study of Scripture it's an amazing thing to experience. And, and Lord and I want to invite you to experience that with us, to know what it was like to have been on a sabbatical. And so on the 17th of November, uh, the 17th of November, we are going to uh, have an open house at our house where we're going to invite all of you over to just experience and relive our sabbatical. What, what, did we, what did we do? What were the benefits of it? How did it help us as a family? How did it help me? The best time to take a sabbatical is before you need it. And that was indeed what happened. It was an amazing, it was an amazing five months. I'm so grateful to so many people. And far, far more important than my sabbatical was the appreciation and the thanks that we owe to Pastor Scott. Amen? Amen. We can give him a round of applause. Scott, will you come on up here, please, just for a second? October was Pastor Appreciation Month, and I appreciated my pastor so much in the month of October as I worshiped with you. And so the session um, has put together just a little something to give to Scott and Bonnie to say thank you for his tireless effort. And um, dude, you crushed it. It was awesome. So thank you so much for your help. We love you and appreciate you. We're Presbyterians and we can clap. Yes, we're confused people. It's great. It's wonderful. All right, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. We're going to start a new series called Finding God's Will. How do we find God's will for our life? Do you listen for a voice? Do you look for a sign? Do you lay out a fleece? Do you cast lots? How do you find God's will for your life? You know, one of, my, one, of my, uh, one of the old preacher stories, you've heard this before, is about the dude who was trying to figure out what God's will was for his life. And you find God's will in God's word. True. And so he thought, well, let's try it on for size. And so he says, I'm going to open my Bible, and wherever it lands, that's God's will for my life. So he opens up to Matthew 27, 5, and he reads, and Judas went out and hanged himself. <laughs> well... Dude, that can't be it. So he flips over a couple of pages and he gets to Luke 10, 37. And he reads, now go and do likewise. What? No, dude, this, this is like not working. And he flips over a couple more pages and he reads John 13, 27. Go and what you're about to do, do quickly. How do we find God's will for our life? Like, we ask that all the time. Like, what is God's, seriously, what is God's will for your life? Have you noticed, I've noticed in the five months I've been driving around Oklahoma and, and visiting folks, like, have you noticed how many dispensaries there are in the state? Holy cow. Like, there are, like, it's like, they're everywhere, right? They're everywhere. And, and, and have you noticed how similar our logo looks to many of those dispensaries? <laughs> so... Can, can we just be honest here for a second? Can I speak into this very important issue, right? Like, our logo looks exactly like a marijuana leaf. Can I say that? Should I, you can tell me later if we should take that out of, of the pipe. But can I also say something to you? Let me say two things about that. Let me, two things. Number one, it's not. And number two, imitation is the greatest form of flattery, right? And we had our logo long before it was legal to, to sell uh, cannabis in Oklahoma, medical cannabis in Oklahoma. And so our logo, whatever you want to call it, a, a, a three-leafed uh, uh, tree or, or a plant, whatever, whatever you want to call it, it is what it is, right? But I met a dude this summer who owned a, um, a cannabis shop um, that sells medical marijuana. And so, of course, I was just like insanely curious, like, tell me how it came about and What's going on? And I, I knew the, the guys that had the shops next to our office, which only makes our logo that much more pronounced, right? But, but I never really met somebody who told me how they came about. 
And he's telling me the story, and he said, well, I can't, I'm a Christian, and I decided to open this marijuana, uh, uh, medical marijuana place when I was reading my Bible. I said, whatever. Seriously? You're messing with me because you know my pastor. And he said, no, 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 seriously. Like, I was reading, and I only got through the very first chapter. True story, I kid you not. And he read Genesis 1.29, and God said, behold... I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with its seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And he said, I, 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 I realize that it's okay. It's okay for me to do this. And I, I followed God's will for my life. I mean, how do you find God's will for your life? Like, like most of us think that finding God's will for our lives is really, really hard. And once you find it, then life will be really, really easy. So if you can just figure out who you are supposed to marry, then your marriage is going to be easy. If you can figure out what job that you're supposed to do, students, then you'll always enjoy your job and you'll be very successful. If I can just figure out what town I should live in or what, what uh, subdivision or what house, then my children will be happy and we will have this amazing family I've always hoped for. Like, we think God's will is really hard to find, but really, once you find it, it's easy to do. But honestly, it's just the reverse, isn't it? God's will is really easy to find. But if we're honest, it's sometimes hard to do. And there are four things, this is where I'm coming from in this series. There are four things that the elders of this church believe is God's will for every one of your lives. Four things. And just like this time of year, if you listen to coaches in NCAA football, they're always talking about fundamentals. Quit reading the press clippings, go back to blocking, tackling, and good technique. So also, we're going to dive back in to talking about the fundamentals. There are four things that the elders believe are essential for you to know God's will for your life. Let me just give them to you, and then we'll walk through Acts chapter 10. Those four things are, number one, you rest in worship. Number two, you grow in community. Number three, you rediscover your calling. And as a result of doing those three things, you experience a fourth. That you find the freedom you've always hoped to have and you go and make a difference for the fame of his name. Those four things, we're going to walk through those four things over the next several weeks together in the month of November leading up to Advent. Those four things, rest and worship, we're going to talk about that today. Grow in community, there's a difference between knowing others and being willing to be known. We'll talk about that next week. Rediscover your calling. They say that the two greatest days in your life are the day that you're born and the day you discover the reason why. We'll talk about that. And then find freedom. What does it mean to be a people who find freedom in light of the gospel that has been given to us? And so to do that, I'm going to read from Romans chapter 10, verses 1 to 15. And if you'd be willing and able to stand, let's read this. Um, listen as I read this together. This is God's word from Acts chapter 10. I'll read 1 through 15. Stand if you're willing and able for the reading of God's word. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all of his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. And about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on a housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry. The sixth hour was noon. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. 
But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And a voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once into heaven. The grass withers and the flowers fade. God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, I'm going to walk us through expositionally this, this passage, and, and I'm going to bring out the aspects of what it means to find God's will for our life. And I'm going to do it by looking at these two guys who are a huge influence on me over my sabbatical, Cornelius and Peter. One an outsider, one an insider. One guy who came to know himself, and one guy who came to know the Lord. So let's look. Lower your eyes to the text. Look at Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Okay, pause here. What does that mean? Cornelius was a centurion. Rome at the time was the most powerful army the world had ever seen. And the Roman army was divided up into groups of soldiers, just like the military is today. And there was a tent group made up of eight men. And then there would be a century of men, which would be made up of how many, you would think? A hundred. Technically it was 80, but it was about a hundred men. And six of these centuries would make up a cohort. And this cohort was the Italian cohort. It was the Roman cohort based in the in Caesarea, which was the southern military capital of the empire of Rome at the time. And 10 of these cohorts would make up a legion, about 6,000 men. And so Cornelius is a military dude. I want you to remember that. Mark that in your head because it's going to be important in about five minutes. But also what you're going to find out is that not only was he a military dude, but he was a really good dude. So keep reading with me. Look at verse 2. He was a devout man. What does that mean? It means that if you, if you pay for something with a five and they give you change back for a ten, Cornelius would say, no, 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 you gave me too much change. He was a devout man, right? What else does it say? He said he was a devout man who feared God. All right, we, we blow right past this all the time, but you remember in the ancient Near East, there were three different groups of people who worshipped the one true God. There were the Jews. Those were the people who who were ethnically Jewish, racially Jewish, and abided by all of the laws of Leviticus 11 and the whole of the Old Testament. They worshiped the Lord in Jerusalem according to the statutes given to Moses. Then there were Samaritans, the second group of people who worshiped the one true God. These were um, mixed race peoples, half Jew, half Gentile, and they had the whole different sort of traditions thrown into the mix, and their temple was in Samaria. And then there was a third group of people we often forget about, and they were the God-fearers. And these are people who worshiped the one true God, but they weren't allowed in the temple because they weren't Jewish. They weren't circumcised. But they wanted to worship the one true God. And this is who Cornelius is. He's a God-fearer. And what else does it say? It says, he was a God-fearer with all of his household. He gave alms, so he was generous, and he prayed continually to God. Okay, so what does this mean? Here's a military dude who's morally, he's a really good dude. In fact, if you were to, if I were to put myself next to this, right, he, he's a devout man who feared God with all of his household. He gives generously and he prayed continually before God. Like, like, he's morally better than me. He's probably morally better than anybody in this room. And yet God says to Cornelius, that's not enough. Cornelius, that's not enough. Verse 3, it says, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw a vision and an angel of God came to him and said to him, Cornelius. 
and he stared at him in terror. So an angel comes to this man, this morally upright good dude. An angel comes to him. And by the way, like as Scott alluded last, last week in, in the sermon, like we think about angels as being like naked little babies on sultry white clouds playing harps, right? But here, Cornelius is a military dude. And dare I say, probably almost everybody in this room that he could take down. And yet he sees this angel and he stares in terror. The dude is terrified. And he's a career military man. And, and um, just, for, um, just for grins, like on Bible trivia night, if you ever want to know, like, what are the two things that the angels most often say to people? Two sentences they most often say? Here they are. Ready? Mark this in your brains for trivia night. Fear not and get up. Because people constantly fell on their face when they saw an angel. He's terrified. He stands before me. He's terrified. And the angel says, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa. Send a personal servant to Joppa and bring one called Simon, who's Peter. Now, here's a question. What's the difference? What's the difference between Cornelius at the beginning of Acts chapter 10 and Cornelius at the end? Peter comes to Cornelius and he preaches the, the gospel that Tammy read for us earlier, those 10 verses in Acts 10, 34 through 43. You can read them. And Peter lays out the beauty of the crucifixion, how Christ died, was buried, and was raised again for him. What's the difference? What's the difference between Cornelius at the beginning of Acts chapter 10 and, the, and Cornelius at the end of Acts chapter 10? Here's the difference. Cornelius teaches us that there is a difference between being good and knowing God. Cornelius was a morally really good dude, and yet there was something missing. You know, um, Lauren and I, some of you know the story of how Lauren and I met. I knew, I knew about Lauren Usri years before we were actually married. We, I met Lauren when I was... Um, after college in Dallas, I lived with a guy who was very close family friends with Lauren's family. And, and Lauren's mother and Lauren come over to our apartment because they love my roommate so much. And they put shelf lining in our apartment cabinets. Like, Jay and I thought, dude, all you need to make apartment complete is like a box of Cheerios and some milk in the fridge, right? And they like, put this shelf line, and I remember meeting Lauren, and, and I knew about Lauren Ussery. I knew a couple things about her. I knew that she was the daughter of Karen and Wayne Ussery. I, I knew that she grew up in Grand Prairie. I knew that she was the homecoming queen. I knew that she was a nutrition major at A&M. I knew that she liked to jog, that she drove a black Jetta, and that she was in a sorority. Like, I knew some things about Lauren. But I didn't know what her hair smelled like or how her laugh made me feel. I didn't really know Lauren. And some of you, listen, some of you, you know a lot about God. Like some of you, you know, you know the songs we sing. Some of you can quote entire books of the Bible. Some of you know the, the catechisms. You know them so well. You can tell me all about the debate, debate about superlapsarianism and infralapsarianism. You know all the stuff. But still, there's something missing. Because there's a difference, isn't there, between being good and knowing God. There's the kind of people in this room who know about God, but they do not yet know God. Like I knew about my wife, but I didn't really know her until we were married. There's another group of people in this room who, um, anybody ever seen The Voice? You know the voice, like, right, there's an Owasso girl on the voice right now. It's, it's really kind of fun to watch, isn't it? So Annie and I, my daughter and I, got hooked on the voice this summer. And they say of the voice that the voice is a singing competition with a twist. And the twist is that the judge, it's a blind audition, right? So the judge's chairs are facing back to the performer. And so um, who do you have? You've got Blake Shelton and um, Gwen Stefani and who will help me out? Um, Kelly Clarkson, John Legend, and the Maroon 5 dude sometimes is on there. Um, what's his name? Adam Levine. Adam Levine. Thank you. Right? Good-looking guy. So Adam Levine. So 
All right, so you got these guys that are the voice, and they're and they're and they're listening. And if and if and if they hear a voice, and they see and hear potential in it, what happens? Poof! They hit this big red button, and their chair spins around with this big sign that says, "What? I want you." And there's a part of the voice that I literally have to walk out of the room. I cannot, I cannot stand to be there. Because it's the time when you've got the dude or the girl that is just singing their heart out. And none of the chairs turn around. I, I, can't, I can't handle it. I have to like leave because the, 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 uh, the, the sign is so obvious, right? And guys, can I just be honest with you? There are people in this room who've put their boyfriend or girlfriend in that chair. And you're performing your heart out to get them to hit that big red button. Or the girl that you want to date or the person that you used to date or hope to date. Some of you have put your children in that chair. Some of you are 40, 50, and 60 years old and you've put your parents in that chair. They're still in it. And you are playing your heart out if they would just turn around and accept you because you've never felt their love and acceptance. But can I share something with you? None of those people that you have put in that chair who you are hoping to hit that big red button, none of them have a button. And the only one who does have a button has hit that big red button and his chair is swung wide to you and his arms are open with a sign that says, I want you, your Savior, who cares for you. In fact, more than that, you know Jesus is the one who took the stage for you? I mean, there are some of you who know about God that don't know God and there are some of you who are playing your heart out to get him to notice you. And yet you don't know him because you don't know his love for you. You've never accepted his grace and his acceptance. He has played for you, and he has faced the rejection of the judge for you. He didn't get the big red button so that you might receive the open arms of our Savior. Friends, there is a difference between being good and knowing God. Amen? Cornelius teaches us that. Now, secondly, Peter. What does Peter teach us? It reminds me that the Cornelius reminds me of that old hymn, you know, the old hymn that says, Forever here my rest shall be, close to your bleeding side. You're all my hope and all my plea. For me, my Savior died. Do you know that? For you, your Savior died. Some of you have never said, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I can't perform for you, but I trust in you. Kiddos, some of you need to pray that this morning because there's a difference between being good and knowing God. Now, secondly, Peter. Now, you already know something's going on in Peter's heart and life because it says that he's staying with Simon at Tanner, uh, verse 6. That's one clue. It's going to be really important in a couple of minutes, so mark that in your mind. What is a Tanner? A Tanner was somebody who um, made a living off of skinning dead animals and using their skin for clothing or for other artifacts. And so he would have, he'd be covered in blood, which, which means because he dealt with dead animals, he was perpetually, always, continually unclean. And we know from Leviticus 11 that there are clean laws and there are, there are um, uh, um, laws that prevent you from being around things that are unclean. And so Peter, being a good Jew, knows that for centuries he has to abide by these cleanliness laws. And yet here he is with Simon a Tanner. And as he's staying with Simon a Tanner, he goes up onto the roof, and the roofs were often reinforced areas where people would sometimes sit and eat, or in this case, Peter's up there praying while his food's being made. And what happens is this. He goes up and he prays, and as he's praying, he falls into a trance and he has a dream. And in this dream, the sheet comes down with all of these animals. And then, what does the Lord say to Peter? This is the concealed carry verse of the Bible. Rise up, kill and eat, right? And all the hunters in the room say, amen, right? 
So, like, this is, this is the time when, when Peter, like, sees this sheet full of all these unclean animals. And there are reptiles and birds. These are things that you cannot touch as a Jew. And, and Peter says, no, 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 I've never eaten anything that's unclean. And, and the Lord says to him, no, don't call what's unclean that I have made clean, unclean. And Peter says, well, no, Lord, I, 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 I've had, this is a tradition that's been centuries old. I need to maintain it. And the Lord, what is he doing in this case? Three times this happens to Peter. What is the Lord doing? The Lord is making evident what he tried to make evident back in uh, Mark chapter 2. What he tried to make evident again in Matthew chapter 11. He's making evident that there are barriers that are coming down. Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22 talk about this. The Lord is breaking down a cultural, racial, social barrier so that the gospel is no longer for one people, but it's for all the nations. And so he sends Peter to the man who is unclean, Simon the Tanner, to dwell with, to lodge with. And then he gives him a specific dream to say, now, for the gospel to go to all nations, for you to be used in a way I've created you to be used, a barrier has got to come down. Cornelius teaches us that there is a difference between being good and knowing God. Peter teaches us that there is a difference between knowing God and knowing ourselves. Because there are people in this room for whom barriers need to come down. And one of the things that happens in a sabbatical is you're, you're, I was freed up to go and enjoy my family and, and to develop really healthy habits that, that I needed to pursue and and, and to worship at other places, which was really interesting and strange for me to worship at other places and not be with you on Sunday. But to, to be able to see how the, the, the Lord has opened his arms to every nation, tribe. And um, I got to tell you, one of my favorite places to worship is a place we used to worship together in the building of Presence Theater. Do you remember those days? Back in the early, early days of Trinity, if you were here, we worshiped in Presence Theater's little, little theater for for nine or 12 months, and they were so gracious to us, and I went and worshiped with them a couple of weeks ago, and Alvin Frugier, their pastor, um, was preaching a sermon about contentment, and if you know Presence Theater, it's a very diverse congregation, it's very beautiful, it was just so fun to be there, and, and Alvin is preaching, and he's talking about contentment, and he saw me there, and he decided to use Trinity as an example, and he said, you know what, you know what, I, how I had to learn contentment? We've been here for 15 years planting this church. And I drove by the corner of 76th and Memorial. And you know what I wanted to say? How come not us? How come Trinity, like how come that church gets a piece of land? What about us? And if you know of Presence Theater, they're dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, but they, didn't, they don't have the same economics that we have to buy a piece of land. And Alvin said, so you know what I do now? Every time I walk by that Trinity land, I worship and say, glory to God for the diversity of the church, and one day we shall all be one together. And isn't it awesome that Trinity has a piece of land? And the whole church stood up and clapped for you. I mean, I wish I could have taped it. It was amazing. And what is it going to be like for us to be able to celebrate the differences that we share amongst ourselves. We all look relatively similar, but we're all pretty diverse. Different economic places, different places we live, different things we do, different, so we have different stories. And the strength of the church is being able to know each other, and as we grow more diverse, we are a people who continually open our arms to others. We'll talk more and more about this next week. Because there is a difference between knowing God and knowing ourselves and the barriers that need to come down in our lives, whether those are cultural barriers or racial barriers or issues with sin. I mean, some of you guys are freaking out because you did not erase your search history on your phone and you're worried your wife is going to find it because you've been looking at porn last night. Some of you are so anxious about the, there are barriers in your life that have to come down. And how do you find rest? If this is really God's will for our life, how do you find rest? Who are the people in your life that you feel the most yourself with? Where is the place where there is the least drama 
and trauma. Wherever it might be. It's a place where you know that person or those people, and it's a place where you know that they know you completely, and they want your best. Oh, how we want to be a church like that. Never surprised by sin, but fiercely going after it in repentance. Lauren and I experienced what it's like to rest when we were in Oregon this summer for uh, celebrating our 15th wedding anniversary, and we're driving down the 101, and there's about an hour when we weren't listening to the Hamilton soundtrack, where we just drove for like an hour and we just sat in silence driving down this beautiful coastline. And we were perfectly at rest. There's nothing about my life that my bride does not know, nor is there anything about hers that I don't know or she wouldn't be willing to share with me. Are you like that with your Savior? Are you willing to be known by your Savior completely? And are you willing to be known so completely that you don't hold anything back from him? And that you allow him week after week through Trinity, through the regular worship with God's people, to let him bring those barriers down. Eden was supposed to be the place of rest, but we turned away in the garden. And so God raised up Abraham to call a people to himself. And they entered the land of rest, Canaan, but they didn't find it because there were giants in the land. And even after conquering the giants, still they found themselves enslaved. And so God rose up Moses. And Moses delivered his people. And then Canaan, some of you caught that. Moses took them into Canaan. And in Canaan, they can't find rest because there are giants in the land. And so they, they are, they're called into exile even after they conquer the land. And so, so God's people are, are in exile even after King David Right, who built the sanctuary. This will be the place of rest. Solomon built the temple. The temple will be my dwelling place. And off into exile they go, looking for the place of rest. This is the whole of the biblical story, isn't it? And so God sent the prophets to say, find rest in the promises of God. And God's people still didn't listen. They threw themselves at everything else to find rest in. And so God sent his son, who in Mark chapter 2 says, I am the Sabbath. You find rest in me. Matthew 11. Come all who are weary and heavy laden and find rest for your souls. I am your rest. There's a difference between being good and knowing God. And there's also a difference between knowing God and knowing yourself. There are barriers that need to come down even for those of you who have known God for years. You find your rest in Him. The better True Israel, better Moses, the true King David, the prophet, priest, and king, Christ himself who died on a cross so that we might have rest in him. Listen, friends, if you want to know God's will, they often come in this order. The first step to knowing God's will is knowing him. Do you know him? And if you know God's will, are you willing to allow the Holy Spirit to help you learn yourself. John Calvin, in the very first book of his most famous book, The Institute, said, if you want to know the gospel, you have to learn two things. You have to know God, and you have to know yourself. And resting in worship is God's ordained means by which you come to know yourself better. Do you know it? Peter, throughout his life, had to continually remember this, didn't he? Jesus came to Peter after the resurrection and said, Peter, do you love me? Because Peter said, Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll never deny you. I'll never set up a clean, unclean barrier again. But when he saw an unclean man going to the cross, Peter said, I don't even know who he is. Three times. So Peter reconciles with him, with Jesus. And then later in Peter's life, what happens? He has a dream. I mean, if he had a dream, you would think it would change your life. But then later in Galatians chapter 2, what does Peter struggle with? Peter struggles with racial barriers. Again, it's a barrier that needed to come down in his life, socially, culturally. And so Paul has to rebuke him to his face because Peter pulled away from the Gentiles when he saw the Jews walk into the room. And Paul says, you hypocrite, why are you who say that the good news is for all nations pulling away from the people, the very people that need so desperately to hear it? Friends, we find rest 
in the finished work of Jesus. And there's a difference between being good and knowing God. And there is a difference, we'll learn all of our life, between knowing God. And as we grow to know him better, we come to know ourselves better because we see barrier after barrier after barrier be able to come down. And as the old hymn says, how blessed thy saints, how safely led, how securely kept, how richly fed. He is Lord of all, of land and sea. He is Lord of us, yes, even me. Do you know him? Will you find rest in his finished work? Come to the supper now and find rest in him. Let's pray together. Father, happy are those who find rest in you. And we know, Father, that there are so many things in our life that we seek our rest in. Good things that have become ultimate things. And so would you help us to learn what your will is for our life by, first of all, admitting our need for you. And learn what your will is for our life by learning how to rest in your worship, to stop performing for you, and to allow the holiness of our lives to come as a result of what you've done for us, not as an attempt to earn your favor and love. Thank you, Jesus, that you've hit the button for us. And now as we turn our eyes and thoughts toward the offering, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to give generously as your people, that you would help us to be able to give in ways that honor you, that glorify you, we thank you, Father, that you have called us together to be one people. And so may it be. May this place be a place without drama and trauma. May we find rest together when we're in worship. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In your um, bulletin, there's a little green card. And for those of you who haven't yet filled that out, if, if you would do that to help us know how we can better pray for you and know you. And we're going to leave one of the buckets back there by Matt and Blaine. So if you would just, if you haven't put that in the offering plate and you want to, please just drop it in that bucket as you leave. It'll help us know how we can um, know you and welcome you to Trinity if you're new here. For I give unto you that which I also received. The night that Jesus was betrayed, in the upper room, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, take and eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink of it, all of you, for the remission of your sins. For as often as you do eat of this bread and you do drink of this cup, you show forth the Lord's death until he comes again. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Using the words on page 10. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks unto the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. It is right and good and a joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks unto you, almighty God, holy Father, everlasting God, and therefore with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and we magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you. 
and singing. Praise God from Children, thank you for helping us worship. I love to hear your voices. It's so beautiful. This is the meal for God's people, a feast for his people, which means that if you have not yet come to a place where you know God, then today is a day of salvation for you. We invite you to pray the prayer, Lord, help us, help me. I admit that I'm a sinner, and I know that I know about you, but I want to know you. I turn from my sin. And for those of you who aren't yet there, who haven't prayed that prayer, then we're so glad you're here. Please keep coming. Please keep coming. Come to community group. Come on. Be part of worship. Join us. Hang out with us. Be our friends. We want to be yours. But let the elements pass you by because the Lord's Supper is a meal for God's people. If you're a member in a church where the gospel is preached, you're a baptized believer, then this meal is for you. And so in just a moment, as the elders come forward, I'll serve the elders first, and then after I, I serve the elders... Guys, come on up. Then they'll distribute the elements in four corners. And I'll also, elders, come on up. And then, I, and then after that, I will um, uh, uh, be in the back to pray with and for you. Some of you, in light of the message, would like to just receive prayer. And I would love to pray for you. And, and some of you uh, would like um, to accept Jesus for the first time in your life. And I also want to be there to celebrate that with you. So I'll be standing in the back. Actually, I'll be in this corner over here. It's the least crowded. Please come find me. And um, let me pray for us together, and then we'll distribute the element to God's people. Father, thank you for your body and for your blood. Nourish us through it. It is a means of grace to strengthen us. May we walk in holiness in light of all you've done for us. May you help us to become more self-aware of the barriers that exist in our life. So nurture us as one people, invited into your room to partake of one meal together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
It is so glad, good to be back. Thank you guys for your love for me and for our family. And we want to invite you to enjoy that sabbatical experience with us on November the 17th. Into this week, this week, which is our weekly email, you'll see an RSVP link where you can RSVP. Please do RSVP if you want to be there after service for lunch or brunch on the 17th. It'll help us know if we're going to have it at our house or at Trinity House, if there are too many folks, or someplace, someplace else. And also remember, just after the benediction, fellowship together over donuts and coffee out of the cafeteria. Please stay, and let's make that part of our, our time together every week. Now lift up your eyes and receive the benediction of your Savior who loves you. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let us go forth to love our neighbors and serve them as those who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Go in peace. You're dismissed.